Hey everyone, this is Jim uh, coming to you from the road. Actually, I am driving, currently driving through Nebraska. Yeah, there's a beautiful country out here. Anyway, uh, it is beautiful. I love driving out here. I've been living in the city for so long. I've gotten so little nature that it actually is kind of a relief to be driving through what people usually just dismiss as flyover country. Uh, I think it's pretty gorgeous. Um, This is where all our food comes from, in any case, so I don't see what's so bad about that. Uh, Yeah, so thought I would take a break and start recording this thing. I don't know what the legality is on driving with your cell phone, like while talking on your cell phone or like a hands-free device. Like I I see people doing this all the time. I don't know if it's legal or not. Uh, Anyway, I'm curious because I have my AirPods in to do this. And I don't know if it's legal to do that either. I do remember like in college looking into this because my stereo was broken in my car. And so for a while, I used to drive around listening to music with headphones on. And then I found out that's actually not legal to do. Um, which actually, that makes a lot of sense. When I heard that, I was like, yeah, you're basically blocking out one input of information, like one channel of information that you might want uh, when you are operating a motor vehicle amongst other human beings who are also operating vehicles. Uh, anyway, I don't, I don't know if it matters at all. I'm just using my AirPods as a microphone. I can't imagine it's illegal to, I guess if you, if you had like a, you're holding a microphone or you're doing karaoke while driving, that probably wouldn't be a good idea either, but they're just some buds stuck in my ears. Anyway, they, um, people can't see them anyway. Um, if somebody wanted to. When I was in high school, beginning of my sophomore year, like between freshman and sophomore years, like that summer, I just decided to stop cutting my hair. Like I had always done the thing that I, I guess, I don't know where it comes from, but you just like comb it over, like you part it on one side and comb one side down and it's shorter on one side than the other. Like whatever, whatever that is, the stereotypical uh, male haircut. Like I did that all through ninth grade, uh, probably a few years longer than I should have. I should have gotten like an adult hairstyle sooner. But anyway, so just before sophomore year, I was like, the hell with it. I'm just going to like let it grow out and start just do something with it. I wasn't, I didn't have a plan. I was like, let's just, you know, comb it back. It just sort of started falling down the middle. And, um, thing is I don't I don't remember if I ever cut it after that like I remember after graduation my best friend and I like went to a barber shop and I cut my hair then it was really long like senior year I had it in a ponytail and I'm trying to remember if I which is not a good look for me anyway a ponytail is not a good look on anyone I looked like an asshole uh, I would not want to voluntarily do that again. Um, 
but yeah, so I actually have that long hair now, like because of pandemic, like this whole quarantine, barber shops are closed. Um, I don't have the audacity to try cutting it myself. It hasn't gotten quite that bad yet, but it is. I was in desperate need of a haircut. Like it was too long in March, like six months ago before this whole thing hit. Like that, that very weekend, um, uh, just before the shelter in place officially issued, I was like, maybe before this gets too bad, I should go get my haircut because it definitely needs it. But it was, I didn't go because the things were already pretty bad. People were saying, when you go out in public, don't shake hands, don't touch anyone. Um, so I was, I was trying to minimize how much I was going out. It wasn't clear, uh, how deadly this thing really was. And so I was being overly cautious. And that's probably the right level of caution. Overly cautious is cautious. It's, it's plenty cautious. You know, it's not too cautious. Um, but anyway, so now I have, you know, easily nine months of excess hair hanging down. And so that's covering my AirPods. Like even if somebody looks at me, they, they would not know that I had AirPods in. All this to say, I may be breaking the law by podcasting while cruising on an interstate, uh, but nobody can tell. So there's really no reason for me to have spent the last, what, five minutes talking about all this. Yeah. How do you like that? I just wasted both of our times. Take that. You. <laughs> ah, no, it's, it's, it's all good. Um, I've actually had a really, um, productive couple of days driving. Uh, so I, I actually left late in the evening on, on, uh, Tuesday, a couple of days ago. Um, yeah, I, that, like the thing, I, I gave notice to my landlord, um, well, a couple Saturdays ago, not that long ago. I said, here's my 30 days notice. And for whatever reason, my gut was simply telling me like, look, don't take 30 days. Like, just, just go. As soon as, as soon as you can pack up all your stuff and get rid of whatever you have to throw out what you have to just go. So I looked at the calendar and I had a dentist appointment about 13 days. No, not even that 10 days out. Like not the, not the next Tuesday, but the following Tuesday. Um, and I was like, okay, so I have to be in town for that. I might as well get my teeth cleaned and then I can just hit the road. Um, but Monday night I had some trouble sleeping. Like I couldn't fall asleep. I didn't fall asleep till three in the morning, which is late. And so I didn't wake up until 10, which is several hours later than I was planning on waking up. So I had planned to wake up, you know, my normal time, 6, 6.30, and just take care of the last bits of stuff, load up my car, you know, go to the dentist, and then just hit the road. But I woke up so late that I, I kind of looked around and I was like, I don't know if I can do this. I, I think I, the time I lost, I don't know if I can quite make it up. 
Um, so I had to scramble like crazy. Like I was running around. Um, right now there's a heat wave affecting San Francisco. And my place was, my place is usually pretty cool. Even if it's hot outside, it was sweltering. I was like running around my building with a face mask on, just dripping sweat. I have to like move faster than I usually would because it's short on time. Thankfully, my dentist actually pinged me midday and was like, hey, we got to push this back an hour. Uh, can you come in an hour later? Because the patient before you needs more time. And I was like, thank God. That worked out perfectly. Um, I did everything I had to do. Um, some unexpected stuff came up. And I, I rolled down to Mountain View um, to go to the dentist, like, just in the nick of time. I had, like, five minutes to spare. So it actually worked out super perfect. Otherwise, I would have had to drive. If I couldn't have done that, if I couldn't have just left right from the dentist and left the Bay Area and started driving, I would have had to drive back an hour north, back to the city. And, you know, I probably would have just pussy-footed around for I don't know how long. So I'm glad I was able to hustle and get it done. Uh, yeah, like the receptionist at the dentist when I was leaving was like, so we could schedule your follow-up appointment for six months from now. And I was like, I am moving out of state, so let's not do that right now. And she's like, oh, well, okay. She's like, do you want to just schedule it? And if you, if you move you can call us and cancel it. I was like, no, no, no. My car is loaded up. I'm leaving here and I'm driving out of California for a while, like right after I leave here. And she was like, oh, we won't do anything then. Okay. Uh, but it was, it was nice. Like I, the reason I had that dentist like an hour south of me is because that's where my office used to be, like downtown Mountain View is where um company I, I've been working for or had been working for for the last few years, they had their headquarters there before they moved down the road to Sunnyvale um, about a year ago now, actually. And so it was like, I hadn't been back there since we had moved. And so I, I it was nice to just kind of like wander around town. I went to like a little poke place and got a poke bowl, um, place I used to love going, um, just as like one last hurrah. And I wanted to do that also because I was leaving California. I've been to Detroit before and I've ordered what they call poke in Detroit, in Michigan. I don't think they know, they don't know how to do it. They, they know how to they know how to do, I guess, coney dogs, but they don't know how to do, um, um, okay. It hasn't quite reached them. They haven't gotten the memo yet. Somebody should, uh, put them in touch with Alton Brown or whoever the Japanese version of Alton Brown is. I don't even know if our poke bowl is Japanese. It feels like poke bowl is just an American thing. Like there's this idea of sushi. But Americans are kind of like, well, you know, that's good, but it's kind of small. Let's just take all those elements and, like, throw them into one gigantic bowl. And that'll be, that'll be, that'll be our thing. That'll be our take on 
No clue. Anyway, but it, it was a nice little, nice little evening, you know, and, uh, I hit the road that day. I actually got like four or five hours in. I made it to Nevada. I had to drive through, uh, the route I went, I, I drove through South Lake Tahoe. And I, I hit that city, um, later in the evening than I would have preferred. Like, I, it was like maybe nine at night by the time I hit that, and it was very, uh, very dark out. Like, I think I drove right past the lake, like on the south part of the lake, and I couldn't see the lake at all. But the city itself was gorgeous. What I could see of it at night, it was, um, like a little resort town. You know, it looked like there were a lot of restaurants, casinos. It had that kind of mountain, uh, town feel. Like if you're in Colorado, you go to someplace like Aspen. Whenever I think of a small skiing town in, in Colorado, I always go to Aspen. I think that's just because of Dumb and Dumber. There must have been some like product placement there. Like, oh yeah, let's set it in Aspen. And then it's Aspen pays a kickback to the film producers for that. That works. They don't, if they don't do that in the movies, they should. I'm sure that they do. I don't think there's the opportunity for money to change hands. Uh, I don't think, uh, don't think Hollywood lets those, they don't think they leave those opportunities on the table, so to speak. But anyway, so Tahoe, I had never really been to any part of Tahoe. I'd never been up to that region. It looked gorgeous and it looked like a really great time. There were a lot of people out wandering the streets. I didn't see too many people with masks on. So not the time to go hang out in Tahoe right now, but I'm going back once this whole thing is blown over. But if I'm, if I'm back in the Bay Area, I'm making a long weekend out of Tahoe. I actually considered moving there uh, when I sort of got wind of the fact that, like, okay, this is going to be going on. We're going to all be sheltering in place and working remotely for a while now. That's going to be going on for at least another six months, it would seem. I heard that Google's not reopening their offices until mid-next year. If that's the case, probably other companies follow suit. It, it, we got a while. Um, basically, like you, you could a mother could produce a child uh, between, uh, now and when they're planning on reopening Google. Uh, I wonder about that too. I wonder if there's going to be, you know, we have like, uh, sociologists have those groups of people. They say like there's uh generation X, there's millennials, generation Y, generation Z. I don't know what they all are, but I feel like anyone who's born like, Starting maybe a year or two from now, like, or even just, I mean, there'll be some, I think there'll be like a COVID generation. Like, these are the COVID babies. Like, they happened during the pandemic. I wonder if that happened in 1918, if there's a sudden spike in childbirths after that. Everybody's like forced to hold up. Bunch of couples getting angry, having makeup sex. That's going to be a thing. I, I don't. I don't think they're going to call them COVID babies. That would be 
kind of a slap to the face as soon as you come of age. Like, oh yeah, you're the COVID generation. Generation of the COVID babies. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But as soon as it became apparent to me that uh, we're in this for the long haul, I was like, I don't see why I'm going to stay in San Francisco and, and pay San Francisco rent. Um, like, there's there's arguably very good reasons to do that. Uh, absolutely none of them are applicable to anyone right now. The city is shut down. Uh, museums are closed. Nobody has to be in the office for any reason. Like, you really can't go out and enjoy most of the things that it has to offer you. You're, if you're holed up in San Francisco, you might as well be holed up anywhere else, as long as you can, you know, earn a living for yourself or just if you can afford not to work. So I, I actually looked at places. I, I heard some people, some people had moved from San Francisco to Tahoe. This Tahoe is apparently much cheaper to live in. And I was like, that might be nice. Just spend the winter uh, up there. I found a couple places like right on the lake in South Tahoe, which would be, there would be more space than I had in San Francisco, but like half as, half as much rent wise. And, uh, I gave it some consideration. Ultimately, I, I, I was like, okay, I think you could probably use your time better if you're going to let go experience winter somewhere. Um, just go home and see your parents, you know. Go home and see, like, my new, uh, my newborn nephew, who I guess is now six months old. I just got a message from my mom. It's like, it's, feels like, oh, yeah, that, that baby just showed up. But no, the baby showed up, uh, half a year ago, just before all of this. God, has it been that long? Jesus, where did this year go? Anyway, uh, yeah, so I made it to Nevada, and, of, you know, I had trouble sleeping the night before. I didn't quite get a good night's rest. I had to wake up and panic pack. You know, my car is basically just has stuff shoveled into it. Um, but I didn't sleep very well in Nevada, either. I actually woke up at, like, 2 in the morning. Just in the middle of the night, I woke up and I was awake. And I think there there's reasons for that, which I'll go into a little bit later. But I know myself. But when I wake up that early, like two in the morning, with that sort of feeling, like I'm just I'm just awake now, I know I don't fall back asleep. It had that feeling to it. If I I could have kept laying there for another five hours or so, like around dawn, I would have started to doze off, and then I would have gotten a few more hours of sleep woken up maybe 10 or 11, pretty much half of the day of driving would have been consumed. And I would have been groggy anyway because I didn't get good sleep. Uh, so I just said the hell with it. Like I around 3.30, I just took a shower, got my stuff, you know, threw my key card on the front desk where, of course, no one, no one was there and just hit the road. I was on the road by, I think, 4.30 or so. And I drove pretty much the entire day. I drove until maybe 6. You know, I stopped a few times uh, just to stretch. 
Um, yeah. Yeah, but I was... I realized I had to stop. Like, I was thinking about just, oh, I can just plow through. I can go the entire... You know, normally I would just drive. If I'm like, okay, what I've learned is that if I'm on the road and I'm cruising on my own across the country, um, I'm in two states and two states only. I'm either driving or sleeping. Like when we used to drive across the country when I was uh, younger, like me, my grandmother, and me and my brother, uh, you know, we were kids. If you have kids or you are kids, it's slightly different. Like you want to, you don't want to be in the car all day. You need a break from each other. I think at the very least the parents need a break from the kids. My mom probably needed a break from us. And she had her mother in the car. So, yeah. There's probably only so much tension you can let build in a day before you have to let this, this stuff dissipate. So, you know, we would only like, drive eight hours you know it was always slow going to you try and get kids going in the morning it's like herding cats so we're like okay let's let's go you know eat breakfast somewhere you know let's sit down and wait for the food order off a menu get the check all of that nonsense uh you know that stuff doesn't slow you down like i'm, I'm just like a single guy uh, I don't want to, like, be stopping off at five and then, like, you know, getting dinner somewhere and then just sitting around in the hotel for a few hours until I fall asleep. The hell with that. Like, I'm on a mission. I'm going to get to where I'm going. I don't want to... I would just be unhappy. I'd be sitting there in the hotel like, Ugh, okay. But yesterday, like, dinner time was rolling around and I was, like, falling asleep at the wheel like not in a dangerous way but I kind of caught myself like uh not quite nodding off but I was like yeah I'm headed in that direction like I'm two nights of really bad sleep are catching up to me so I was like okay the next town you come to with hotels you have to stop at in the meantime just put on some music start talking to yourself keep yourself actively awake uh however you can but you know, you got to stop. So I did, and I pretty much got a hotel room, got my stuff out of the car, went inside and just passed right out around six o'clock. I turned on the TV and tried to watch some stuff, but you know, you get, you get, you get so tired, you can't even do stuff that you can't even veg out. Um, just watching some television when, when there's a, there's a point at which you just can't do anything. Your body's just like, no, 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 no. It doesn't even matter how mindless it is. You just need to sleep. And so sleep I did. And I was kind of like, I was trying to stay awake because I didn't want to completely flip my schedule. Like I was like, well, I, the problem is I might fall asleep. If I fall asleep at six, I might just wake up at 10 and then I'm just awake all night, you know, until like the next morning. Like you, that's the risk. You want to keep yourself awake until you know that you're tired enough that you're going to get eight solid hours. Um, but I didn't really have a choice. Uh, so, yeah. But it worked out perfectly well because I fell asleep at 6 and I woke up around 2, 
And so I got like a solid eight hours of sleep. I, I just happened to be awake really, really early, like a senior citizen. Um, and so I was like, okay, well, I feel great. Way more refreshed now. I'm going to hit the road. So I, I was on the road by four this morning. And uh, yeah, I've been driving ever since. It's now two in the afternoon. So I've gotten close to 10 hours of driving in. Um, actually, no, it's not two. Ah, okay. I don't even know. I don't even know what time it is. Like my car battery doesn't have a very solid. I don't know why I'm talking about. It. I don't. Why, why, none of you give a shit why my my clock is wrong. What time is it really? Let me see. Ah, it's not going to tell me because I have a voice memo. Oh, there it is. Twelve fifty-three. It's almost one. Okay, so I've gotten. I'm close to, let's say conservatively, eight or nine hours in, and it's only one o'clock. Yeah, I got to say, that's I think that's the secret. That was an accident. But if you're like cruising across the country, uh, like you're you're just out driving. um, If you can do that, that is perfect. Because, I mean, right now it's uh, early afternoon. I'm on an interstate in a pretty rural area. Like, it's just the middle of Nebraska. There's not a lot going on around here. Slowly approaching Omaha. Um, But people are... You have the usual jackassery of drivers. You know, like, it's not constant, but... You got to kind of work your way around people. It takes a lot of time and energy. You got to be on your guard and pay attention. When there's, when there's other people driving around me, I just always am on the defensive. I always assume everyone is going to do something really stupid. I think that's how you be a safe driver. That, that's how you protect yourself. You just take a completely pessimistic stance and say, everyone is probably going to do something really dumb that might put my life in jeopardy at any point. You have to assume that until you hear otherwise or are proven wrong. And really you're not, there's very little that can prove you wrong. So you're just kind of, right now, of course, I'm, I am talking, I'm doing this whole thing, but this is, what I'm saying is just kind of coming out on autopilot. My attention is on the road. I am watching everyone else like a hawk. But I think that's just what you got to do. But if you can wake up, like if you can drive between four and 10 in the morning, that is six solid hours of stress-free driving time. That is just, you can make so much headway just, just cruising. You're just, you're in the right lane going five or 10 over the speed limit. You don't have to change lanes and go around people. People aren't going around you. It's just, yeah, that's the way to do it. Matter of fact, if I could switch it around completely, if I could like just sleep, uh, probably second shift, like check into a hotel at, uh, let's say two o'clock in the afternoon, wake up at 10 at night and then just go drive all night. Probably be perfect. You'd avoid rush hour any place you'd be going. You'd be sleeping through it. 
I think that would be the ultimate. Anyway, what the hell, what have I been doing? Listening to audiobooks. I gotta say, um, I'm, I'm a really big fan of, uh, Joseph Campbell, who's, uh, an American mythologist. Um, he was a student of Carl Jung's. Um, he's pretty well known for, uh, being a very interesting guy outside of just being one of Jung's students. Absolutely fascinating. Um, I've kind of been working my way through his Masks of God series. It's like four books he wrote, kind of covering mythology from the ancients, like the Paleolithic and Neolithic, to the present day. But those are very dense works, and they're not written just as a chronology. They're very... kind of hard to explain. They're kind of dense and rambly. Um, It doesn't just move in a linear fashion. Um, he writes a lot like Carl Jung, actually. Jung doesn't write in a very linear fashion either. Like, It's uh, kind of scattered. Interesting. It's always interesting, and it holds your intention because it's scattered, but it's also scattered. Like, If you just want to get to a particular point, uh, that's not what you read. But I have one of his audiobooks, one of Joseph Campbell's audiobooks from his collected works called Pathways to Bliss is the title. Uh, and that one is really fascinating. That is essentially the work that he put together where he says, okay, I'm going to take all the elements of my writings and the way in which I might tell people, here's how you can apply mythology and mythological ideas to your own lives. Here's how you live according to myth. Like That is basically what the book presents, and it does it very well. It's done in a very engaging style. It's not overly academic. It's very accessible. And I'm, I'm finding it to be very, very interesting. Uh, he does talk about Jungian psychology and how that factors in. Uh, in chapters uh, three and four, and that's a very good, that's a very good summary of Jungian psychology. Like, I've definitely heard people say, like, somebody I know who likes Jung quite a bit, she was like, yeah, it's easier to read stuff written about Jung than it is to read Jung himself, because he was, he's difficult to slog through. Um, unless you're really interested in the points he's making, it's not for a lay person. Uh, but yeah, it's a, it, this, this, this is a really good summary. Um, and I particularly like what he says about uh, romance. What Joseph Campbell is, he's, he's summarizing the ideas of projection and the anima and the animus. Um, I really would rather not have this turn into some kind of psychological uh, dissertation. I think most people are familiar with the concept of projection. You're kind of end up like there's something going on inside you and you just sort of put that onto another person or a situation and it's not really there. It's all just in your head. But you perceive it as being outside yourself. I think most people are just kind of intuitively familiar with that concept. The anima and the animus are slightly more uh, 
subtle and hard to articulate. Essentially, like, you know, every man has sort of a part of his psyche, as part of his subconscious that is feminine. And he called that the anima. And every woman has some part of her psyche or her, her subconscious that is masculine. And he called that the animus. And essentially, like, when you fall in love with somebody, what is that? That is you, you projecting your subconscious anima or animus, which is kind of an ideal, onto the other person. You don't see the other person for who they are. You just project who you imagine you want them to be. And so Joseph Campbell talks about this. He talks about like, this, this is something that all people do. And they fall in love with not the other person, but some projected ideal of them. And then they get married. And then reality sets in, like the disillusionment of, oh, actually, I can see who you really are creeping in. And yeah, that's not what I signed up for. So people either say the, the hell with it and get a divorce, or they like actually do the work of figuring out how to connect with this other person. Um, and so this got me thinking, like how, if you know that you're doing this, if you approach every romantic situation, um, knowing that you're gonna project, and I remember, I remember Jung wrote about this. He said, like, women don't do this as much as men. He's like, men do this all the time. It's pretty much the norm. Uh, less so with women. Men are definitely very inclined to do this. So how do you, how do you figure out if this is happening? Um, and I actually had a thought, uh, because there was some, because of COVID, I got onto one of the dating apps. I was like, okay, I don't really, I can't go out and socialize. So let me introduce this element. Let me see how this goes. And there was one girl that I connected with. We started texting. We ended up talking on the phone. We met in person a few times and hung out and did stuff. And like we went hiking, uh, Mount Tamalpai, which is in the North Bay. Stuff like that. Um, and it didn't end up working out. Like, like I, I kind of had a sense of who she was when there was an embodiment. Um, and then when we finally met and I kind of started to sense who she really was, like once, once the mask started to fall off, like whatever she was showing me initially, uh, I was like, yeah, this is, we're, we are not compatible. Uh, that much was resolutely clear. And so I, 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 yeah, I broke it. I broke it off. I called her one, one morning and just said, you know, I'm not feeling the chemistry. Um, you know, and I was thinking about it. I remember this happened because one occasion where we hung out, um, we went back to her place and I didn't go into her place. They have like a, an outdoor backyard area 
and they were like, okay, amidst this whole COVID thing, like, I know this girl well enough that she's willing to, like, let me into her, like, little quarantine COVID circle. Uh, she's okay hanging out with me. We can kind of take off our masks and be casual. Um, but uh, she had her best friend living with her. And her best friend was quite a bit younger than she was. I was kind of surprised. Like, this girl was 34, almost 35. Like, her best friend was 27, which I thought was... I mean, past a certain age, those sorts of sort of age gaps really don't matter. But, you know, still, I thought it was something. And, I mean, this friend of hers, we talked a couple of times when she wasn't around and you know really I she was not all that interested in me and I don't mean like she wasn't you know she was for one she was a lesbian so I'm not saying I'm not saying oh she she wasn't she wasn't having any of this like there wasn't the opportunity for a threesome no I it's not not my thing no thank you um but she she really wasn't uh, too actively engaging with me. Like, she didn't seem all that interested in socializing with me. What I had to say didn't really seem to interest her. She just seemed kind of apathetic to me. Not that she didn't like me. But she just sort of was like, eh, I don't know. You're a guy. And it, I, honestly, I don't think it was that she didn't like me. I mean, I could have been I certainly am not going to say, you know, it, that wasn't the case, but I really got the sense that she was kind of like, the vibe I got was she was saying to herself, like, look, you're, you're kind of like trying to date one of my very close friends. And I'm trying to size you up. Like, how good are you for her? Like, how appropriate would you be, like, for my friend? Like, it doesn't matter how much I like you. What matters is whether or not I think the two of you would be good together. And the, the, the impression I was getting from the way she acted towards me was like, no, I don't think, I don't think the two of you are, I don't think the two of you should be an item. That was the sense I got. I didn't think that consciously at the time. But looking back on it now, I'm kind of like, yeah, I think that's, I think that's what was going on. And so I realized that's how you can... I think that's how you could tell. How do you know if you're projecting and seeing something that isn't there, like potential that isn't there in a romantic interest? And how, how do you know that they're doing it to you? I think you look at the friends. You look at how their, their friends are acting towards you. I think that's a good thing to do anyway. I mean, if you don't get on with somebody's like, that, that was like her best friend that they were living together. They had been best friends for about a year or two. And I was like, well, if you don't get along with their best friend, it should say something about how well you're going to get along with them. And yeah, I mean, I think, I think her, her friend wasn't sold on me. And I think it was just kind of like the two of us were looking at each other like, yeah, this is, this could work because we wanted to and why not but ultimately no no i think i think the truth lies 
in the ancillary people uh, to the relationship. Pay attention to that very carefully. If you can bring yourself to do it, I realize people who kind of get uh, dumb when they like whatever start having feelings for somebody. They have a, have like a crush. I actually wonder about that. Like I don't. Uh, I have a lot of trouble. Like I can't see myself falling in love. And maybe the fact that I'm saying that maybe means that I I, I will. But I. But for, yeah, I mean, for the last few years, I've kind of been like looking around. Like I I want to fall in love. Like I want to find somebody. I want to be with somebody. Um, but I mean, I, the thing is, like, I've been in enough relationships that I kind of, I know what's on the other side. I know what, I know what comes. Like, there's always the nice honeymoon phase, and then there is the, like, disillusionment. Like, both of you sort of realize, oh, yeah, you're just another human being, and I, now that I'm seeing you for who you really are, it's like, how the hell am I going to put up with you? Do I really want to put up with you? Like I know this is this is coming. I was uh, so I was I was trying to get rid of my furniture before I moved, just a couple weeks ago. I was like, okay, I'm gonna list it all for sale in my building. And somebody contacted me about a you know a couple of the items, and he said, uh, you know, I'll come over, I'll come over this evening, um, with my partner, we'll check out what you got. And uh, yeah, it's a, I don't know if you know this, but in the Bay Area, everybody has partners. Nobody has boyfriends or girlfriends or husbands or wives or fiancés. Like, it's all marriage and gender neutral, completely androgynous references. Oh, my partner. Um, I don't understand why that is. I don't understand how that is sensitive. Like there, there are some people who are going to be dating. Like there's going to be people who are homosexuals who are going to have, men are going to have boyfriends and women are going to have girlfriends. If you're really living in a place where that is generally accepted, and that is very accepted, I think, in San Francisco Bay Area, especially in tech, where I'm working, and that's there's no problem there. Why would you have to cover that up and just say partner? Why would you want to like conceal that? I can understand if you're like in Texas, maybe that makes sense. I don't, I don't understand. Anyway, there must be something I'm missing. I'm going to ask somebody about that. Um, anyway, this, this fellow came over with his partner. Uh, he was, I want to say around 30, maybe a little bit younger. Uh, fellow just like myself, probably like a tech worker. Um, I play a lot of video games. Um, and his partner was this, uh, you know, very, very reserved, very quiet, very shy uh, uh, Asian girl. And so they they both came in, and uh, you know there was there was like I have a I had a couch that he he was particularly interested in, so he came over and he went over and sat down on it, and he was like, hey, you got to come try this, it's really comfortable. And so she came over and sat down and was like. It was it was weird. Like they did this with everything that they wanted to possibly buy of mine. 
is like he was he was kind of going around checking things out and she wasn't saying anything but you could tell she disapproved of just about everything that he was looking at and he was like having both sides of the conversation uh so he would go up to something and be like oh i really like this uh this is great i think we could really use this here and he'd look at his partner and say what do you think and she wouldn't say anything just like sitting there you know clearly there's disapproval like dripping on her face and he's just like ah okay so you're you're not you're not feeling this this isn't going to happen okay well you won't get that then she's not saying a word she's just like pursing her lips and you just by her nonverbal she's communicating no no and they ended up taking a few items and one of them was a chair and uh i remember him saying something to her like okay i like this chair i think i can use it here i'm going to get it i'll take responsibility for you know it not working out and you could just see it on her face like okay it's on you and i was like you could just plainly tell like uh this is uh this is a fight waiting to happen like in 2 weeks this is going to erupt and it's going to be a problem like something will happen like things will escalate and like and you bought that chair that i didn't want you to buy even though you knew i didn't you could, i could just feel it you know this is this is what happens like i kind of have just come to the point like i if i ever get married and i i don't know that i'm going to i'm not opposed to it but i'm not rushing towards it if i do I know I'm going to eat shit. It's just the way it goes. It's just part of the deal. I was uh I was briefly engaged last year and I broke that off for reasons that have nothing to do with projection disillusionment if you will. Um I think there were there were other more serious incompatibilities that I will not elaborate on. I stand by the decision. um but i even saw that there was the girl that i was dating before we got engaged and then there was my fiance and those were two very very different people um in many stark ways i think it's just what happens um so you know i i don't uh I don't know. If I'm not if I don't want kids, and something tells me if I haven't I'm 38. If I haven't had the, if I haven't caught the the kid bug yet, I don't feel like I'm going to. Like what am I going to hit like 46 and be like, "Oh yeah, I want some rugrats." I don't I think it happens to you younger than that. I don't know. Keep an open mind, who knows. But yeah. The thing is, I I don't know if i really can project any kind of ideal onto any woman anymore like this girl i talked about earlier that i met on the dating app uh back in april may i feel like there were some elements of that but that was just because we didn't meet in person we got to know each other like over text and then we had a bunch of phone conversations and like there was a whole lot of empty space There's a whole lot you don't know about the other person when you haven't met them and can't see them and observe their body language or you know people are 
Plus, I don't think she was being herself, to be honest. I think I was... It's like there's there's an old joke that Chris Rock used to make. When you go on a first date with somebody, you're not meeting that other person. You're meeting their representative. You know, they're putting on a... They're putting on a face for you. Which... I don't actually feel like I do anymore. Um... I don't feel like I really put on airs. I don't feel like I'm trying to win anybody over. Because that is... Don't get me wrong, I've done plenty of that. You know, it's kind of like I'm going to hide the like ugly parts of myself until later. I mean, you, everybody does that. I mean, at the very least, you don't want to like lead off with your ugly things because that's... No. But there was a lot of empty space. There was a lot of blank canvas onto which I could, you know, project some kind of ideal. There was a lot that I just didn't know. And I think in my defense, I would say I knew that I didn't know it. I recognized that, okay, you don't actually know this about this person. You're assuming it. And in that case, you're probably projecting it. So be very, very careful. I think I was conscious of the fact that I was doing it. But a couple of women that I've connected with and talked to after that, like since then, there was no projection of any kind of ideal whatsoever. I was not thinking to myself, oh yeah, I see you as this perfect person that's going to to do what? I was like, I know what you are. You're somebody who's going to come into my life and tell me what's wrong with it, tell me what's wrong with me and start forcing me to be somebody different. I know this is cynical, like I hashtag not all women, but uh, that's generally what happens. Maybe it happens to a lesser degree with some women than others. Maybe there's some women that never do that. Maybe there, are, maybe there actually are some women that just accept the man that they're with and they're not trying to coerce any kind of change. But I, um, I honestly have never encountered that. Probably a matter of degree. any case, what the hell was I? Yeah. So projection. Uh, Pathways to Bliss is the book. I, I would sincerely, re- I'm not even through half of it yet, and I would sincerely recommend that uh, to anyone who might be interested in how mythology drives our own lives. It's fascinating. Um, but yeah, this one girl I talked about and it, it, I think it's safe to assume at this point, she's probably not listening to this. And I'm not identifying her, so I don't think it's going to hurt her in any way. Um, but I, yeah, I called her after we'd, you know, uh, had a lot of phone conversations and hung out in person. And at some point, I kind of realized, I got the sense one evening when we were talking, like, she, she thinks we're headed somewhere. Like, I got the vibe, like, okay, I think you probably might want this to be exclusive. Like, I get the sense that maybe you're going to forsake other romantic opportunities in your life that might arise because of me. And as soon as I picked up on that, I was like, okay, that puts you to a decision. As soon as you know that's on the table, you have to make a decision. Either you're in or you're out. 
You can't drag things out. It's not fair. So I didn't confront it then. I just sort of, I was like, okay, it was late at night. I ended the conversation and I slept on it. And I woke up and I thought about it really hard the next morning. And I was like, yeah, this is all things considered. This is definitely not, not a road that I should go down. It would not be good for either one of us. It's been great. Uh, but I called her up and said, you know, um, not feeling it. The chemistry just ain't there, like is, is what I what I said, which was definitely true. Um, and so, you know, I, you know, um, we, we just hung up and I just sort of let it go. Sort of just like emotionally processed all that. It wasn't really a thing. But still, there's a couple of days you just sort of detox from every sort of separation from any kind of like relationship, like the finality of it, I think you have to process at the very least. Um, but a few days later, she called me. And, you know, she was like, well, you know, we kind of went that way, but I still, you know, I still care about you as a person and I uh, still want to be friends. And I was like, all right. I, uh, now me, I, I don't think that's ever really a good idea. Like th- that, that has never worked out in my experience for anyone, not, not in my own personal experience, not from people I've heard from. If there's something romantic, if you're going down that road with somebody, some sort of relationship, uh, and one of you ends it, that's it. I don't understand how uh, Jerry and Elaine worked on Seinfeld. Like, they used to be lovers, but then they broke up, and now they're just friends. When in the bloody Christ does that happen in real life? That does not happen. That's got to be a weird set of people uh, that does that. It's it's not a good idea. You don't want to go down that road ever. You don't want to be friends with an ex. It's just one boundary that should never be crossed. And so I was kind of like, well, all right, I hear what you're saying and I appreciate it. And to be honest, I I thought about it and I was like, you know, as long as we're talking like once a month, I'm actually okay with it. I think I'm completely over you. And if you're venge- if you feel vengeful and you're going to try and take this out on me, uh, I think I'm... I think I'm over you enough that that's not even going to hurt. I'm not going to care. So I was, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm totally comfortable. I don't want to, you know, don't want to talk to you like every day, but, uh, sure. Let's, let's see how this goes. I'm okay with trying the experiment anyway. And in hindsight, I think it was because she was in the process of moving. Like she had some batshit crazy roommate who had sounded like she had, bipolar disorder um, things have gotten physical between the two of them and she was like I need to I need to move out it wasn't her best friend it was the person that they were living with um, so when we were still like seeing each other she asked me if she could use my car and my effort to help her move and I was like well uh, sure that's fine um, I really had no problem agreeing to that whatsoever. It didn't seem like an overstep. 
I really, you know, there's some, some circumstances in which I would say, well, we just met and you're asking me to help you move. What the hell? But, you know, I was fine with it. I suspect all things considered that I got that call from her and she's like, I just want to be friends because that move was still impending. I'm trying to remember the chronology of it. I feel like that call, when she called and said, I still want to be friends, like she, she asked a half an hour later, oh, by the way, is you, can, can I still take advantage of your offer? Like not take, can I still make use of your offer uh, to help me move? And I was like, sure, that's, I'm totally comfortable with that. And, you know, I was like, not least of all, because I, I might be moving myself in the near future. And I maybe want to call upon somebody to have, you know, come over and offer some extra hands, you know, if you are willing. So I put that out there. I was like, yes, I'm willing to help you. In consideration for that, I'd like you to at least consider the possibility of maybe helping me. When I moved, I was already considering Tahoe or something at that point. Um, so I, you know, we, I did what I had to do. I basically just had to load up my car full of stuff and drive it over to her new place. About a mile or two. Took a couple hours. Wasn't that painful. I was totally happy to do it. Um, but I mean, since then, the communication has been very, very sporadic. Uh, and it hasn't exactly been, um, hasn't been quite as amicable as it was when we were together. And, uh, yeah, like, so we went hiking on Mount, uh, Mount Tam up in the North Bay. And when we went up there, she brought a map that she had of uh, all the trails up there, um, and I asked to borrow it because at the time I had just gotten my car working. And I was like, I'm going to go hiking all the time. Uh, I could probably use this map. Um, and right now the ranger stations are not really open. Can I borrow it? So I borrowed her map. And uh, in the process of moving, she uh, she had this like picture that she painted. It's like camels sort of arranged together on top of each other in like a tessellation of sorts and she had like colored it it was like a black and white thing that she uh colored with some pencils or something and i liked uh i liked the pattern and i liked the colors so i asked her like i just mentioned that i like it and she's like you know i'm, I'm trying to get rid of stuff because i'm moving to a smaller space would you like this i can send it to you if you do and i was like sure if you want to if you want to drop it in a mailbox uh yeah i've got no art on my walls, I'll christen them with this new thing. Do you want to share it with me? And so, um, I told her that I was moving. At some point I said, I pinged her and said like, you know, I'm seriously thinking about just moving back to Michigan and crashing with my parents for the duration of this. Cause I don't think this is gonna alleviate anytime soon. And the very next morning, I finalized that decision and told my landlord, um, sent him an email. And she responded to the text like a little bit late and said, like, you know, what's stopping you from from moving back to Michigan? And I replied to her and said, absolutely nothing. Actually, I just told my landlord, uh, you know, I'm, I'm moving. I'm out. Um, 
yeah, like I'm, I'm, I'm gone. I'm out of here by the end of August, you know? And so then it came up, it was kind of like, I, I need your address. Cause I got to mail this map back to you. And, uh, she asked for mine so she could mail the, uh, the camel picture that she had. And she was like, I'll mail it on Monday. Like, I'll make sure it's, she's like, I'm planning to take it to the post office this, you know, this coming Monday, like two days from now. I was like, cool, cool. I was like, I'm not going to be out of here for at least another week. If it gets in the mail on Monday and it has to like make it barely three miles from one mailbox to another, I'm sure it will arrive before I leave, even if I'm leaving quickly. So I, I kind of put that in the back of my mind and forgot about it. And I realized the evening, as I was driving away from San Francisco, um, like headed towards Tahoe, I was like, oh, you know what? I did not get that camel thing. I was like kind of surprised because it had nine business days to show up if she mailed it on that Monday and it hadn't arrived. I was like, I completely forgot to like check for it and... You know, I, I just forgot about it until now. So when I got to the, uh, the hotel that evening, I pinged her about it and said, like, hey, I just bolted today. I don't live there anymore, and I didn't get your thing. Maybe you haven't sent it yet, but just so you know, don't mail it because it's, uh, you know, um, I'm not at that address anymore. And she was like, oh, you know, I mailed it. I mailed it, like, yesterday and it's supposed to get to you tomorrow and I was like oh okay well I forwarded my mail so the start date was today so maybe the the mail forwarding will handle it you know I'll just cross my fingers and hope that that works and uh her reply seemed quite incensed she was like no it's not going to they're not going to forward it then you're not going to get it ever and I was like well you know um it could. I mean, I, uh, I, I might show up. If I don't, you know, then that's that's kind of a bummer. You know, I would hate for you to have mailed that thing for no reason. Uh, did you happen to get the map that I, I dropped in the mail like a week ago? Uh, she didn't make any mention of, like, she didn't respond to the question about the map. Uh, but she just sort of said, like, uh, you should have told me you were moving, like, sooner. And I was like, well, I told you the same day that I told my landlord. I couldn't have told you any sooner. Um, And I, what did she say? She said something like, what am I supposed to do? I was supposed to like count forward 30 days and like do the math and like, give me a break. No way. She's like, whatever, figures. And then I, I was like, I don't know why I'm getting this. I mean, it's a text, so I really have no idea what emotion is supposed to, where this is coming from. But it felt very frustrated, angry, conflicted, like lashing out. And I didn't quite understand why. I couldn't understand if she was disappointed. I mean, she went to the trouble to mail me something. and I, I honestly forgot. I, I didn't mention that. I said, look, I, I forgot about the thing you're supposed to send me. I just remembered. I'm leaving, um, just a heads up, uh, 
but I, I, you know, I really don't know what I could say besides, you know, sorry about that. Um, but I sent her a message back and said, like, look, maybe it'll get to me. You know, I appreciate you taking the trouble to send it. And I appreciate the thought, you know, but, uh, you know, that's it. Just like, I don't understand why this is escalating, but I'm going to stop responding in a way that allows you to feed into the escalation, like to keep sending these angry sounding uh, texts to me. And that was the last thing I said, and I didn't hear a response to that. And that was just confusing. I was like, I was kind of a little annoyed by that. Um, I was like, I don't understand why I'm getting this sort of frustrated, angry vibe from you. And honestly, I think that it's, it's been a couple of days now. I haven't heard from her. I don't really expect to. But I think that's this, this is making the point. You know, there was some part of her that was like, yeah, sure, we can keep being friends. And I don't think that was just because she wanted to use my car to help her move. I think some part of her actually felt like, yeah, you know, I, I kind of like this guy. We had good conversations. I'd like to maintain the friendship. And what I'm seeing from her, the sort of callous, uh, I'm angry at you for some odd reason, or the, at the very least, I'm getting angrier than I should with you in proportion to what, what was actually done uh, I think that's some part of her saying, like, yeah, this is a former romantic flame. It didn't work out. You really can't have them in your life. Subconsciously, I think she's getting mad because she's trying to, like, put distance between the two of us, which totally makes sense. That's precisely the point. This thing never works out. These things never work out. She might be doing it consciously. She might have just said, oh, the hell with it. Like, you, you can't be friends with an ex. People are too jealous. If you're going to end up dating someone else and you're in contact with somebody that you used to, like, maybe sort of date, eventually the question comes up, like, oh, that's your friend so-and-so. How do you know each other? Oh, well, we, we, we started dating for a little while. Or we went on some dates, even if we weren't a thing. People are going to be like, what, why are you still talking to a, a former somebody that you used to, we went on a few dates with. There's no reason for that. You got to cut those people out of your life or, you know, somebody just doesn't have the appropriate boundaries. Somebody's not getting jealous enough, if you will. So I, I honestly think that's probably not going to hear from her again. And that's, that's just, I think that's, that's, that's fine. Um, it's uh, it's what nature intends, is I think what I would say, measurably. Anyway, that was a pretty long story, but uh, yeah, sharing my lessons from what has happened when dating during COVID. Yeah, and the, the next couple of girls that I talked to, they they did not quite, they didn't get past like one phone conversation. Um, and I kind of, I kind of came around to the, the point of like, why am I inviting this into my life? Like, I, I, I didn't have this example handy. This came later, 
But like the guy coming to my apartment to check out my furniture with his partner and her just being silent, uh, you know, and just stewing about his decisions and him like anticipating, you know, her, uh, her disapproval and then her anger about something in the future. Uh, <laughs> it's, I was like, what, why am I inviting that into my life? What, what, what is that going to, how is that going to improve my situation? right now honestly I kind of just had that sense uh, in general and like after that I started going on I'm back on the dating app and I was like swiping through people I was like why, why am I doing this what is this going like this is just taking energy away from like I should be trying to figure out what it is I'm doing now I was like I'm not employed right now um I mean, I'm interviewing quite heavily, but I was like, outside of, outside of that, I don't like, well, nobody's doing anything now. I don't have a life. Uh, nobody's got a life right now, but I was still, I was like, I don't think, I think my energy needs to go someplace else. It needs to be focused elsewhere. Um, so yeah, I, I sort of just. I'm not uh, not bothering. It was part of the. I think that was the reason I ultimately decided to leave San Francisco. Probably the only reason that I might have considered staying is if things on the dating app were working out between me and someone else. And it's kind of like, okay, you you could maybe carry some of these further, you know, and meet up with some of them, you know. And maybe one of them will work out and it's a good time to like get to know somebody. Like there isn't like you have to meet and there's a pressure of, of, uh, something like sex right away. I mean, not, not on the first date, but you know, you, you have to build up to that now much more than you're used to. Um, but I mean, maybe I'm kind of, I think I was just kind of like, I got, I got burned. Like I spent a lot of time getting to know this one girl. And then that just didn't work out. As soon as we met in person, I was like, oh, yeah, I misread this completely. I misread you. I, I think I was just like, I don't want to, I don't want to like put the energy in and have that happen again. And plus, it, it's kind of like you only want to do it with one person at a time. Like if I had that thought when I was like talking to girls on the dating apps, I was like, I really only want to take one person seriously at a time. It's not, it's not a good time to be running around going on multiple, you know, uh, socially distanced mass dates with lots of people. I mean, it's just irresponsible. You focus on one person and kind of put your energy there. If it works out, then, you know, you're in each other's circles, but you can't be like running around between different circles. I mean, then the network effect of that during a pandemic is just kind of irresponsible. And so you can't even like cast your seeds like wide. You can't even say like, okay, well, I'm going to like diversify and have many irons in the fire and see which one works out. It's kind of like you have to pick an iron and go with it. And I was kind of like, that's wasteful. If that's the only reason I'm in San Francisco is because maybe, maybe there'll be somebody that I, I might hit it off with. I mean, the odds of that are really low. 
And even just focusing on one person at a time is still risky. And it just didn't seem worth it. I think that was the final straw. But as soon as I realized, like, I have no reason to be here. There's no... I don't have friends that I hang out with because of the pandemic. Um, plus, it seems like there, there's been a lot of headlines lately that there's a max a mass eh, mass exodus from San Francisco, and I don't know how much of that is true. I don't know how much of that is just headlines, and how much of that is. Part of it's probably sensationalism, but there's maybe some truth in it. It's not clear to me how much. Um, I think I've said that before. Like last time I, I went over to Office Max to buy some boxes, and there were other people buying boxes. Uh, the week I was packing to move out, like donating stuff and moving stuff into storage, like there were two other people on my floor, two other people in my hallway out of a dozen units who were also boxing things up and moving. And I went down to reserve the loading dock. I had to like reserve it so the moving truck could get the stuff out of my unit. And the guy at the front desk was like, geez, everyone's moving out, you know, right now. And when I, when I told my landlord I was moving out, I gave him notice. You know, he kind of said like, hey, you know, I'd be willing to reduce the rent down to like fair market value if it would uh, entice you to stay. And so I don't know how much of a reduction that would have been, but clearly there's something going on right now. Um, it's not just anecdotal, like looking all around me, like, yes, people seem to be moving out of the city um, in substantial numbers. And I kind of wonder if that's, I kind of wonder if that's it. I wonder if that is the, the bubble bursting. And I do think that there is a bubble. Um, here is my theory, which is just my own. This, this is just me speculating. I have no idea how, how much truth there is to this. But Google IPOs in 2004, 2005, And this is like, you know, after the dot-com boom, this is the around the time that tech starts to have a resurgence in the Bay Area. And there are not nearly enough tech workers in the Bay Area to fill the slots that are open. Like Facebook arrives within a year or two of that. Um, things start to happen. And there's, there's a shortage of people to program this stuff that needs to be programmed. There's a shortage of labor and there is supply. Um, or sorry, there is a demand. The supply is low, but the demand is high. And so I think that this drives wages up in order to entice people to live in San Francisco, which has never been a cheap city, but it was way cheaper than it is than it has been the last few years to entice people to come live in San Francisco and to entice them to come to their company instead of uh, going to another one, the, the salaries for tech people start, they become inflated. This is what happens when 
uh, demand exceeds supply, uh, prices go up. Suppliers catch on to this. And so this, in turn, drives up rent prices even more. I think for the last 15 years, there's been this kind of feedback loop where tech wages are high because rents are so high in the Bay Area. And rents are so high in the Bay Area because uh, tech wages are so high. And... These two things have fed off each other, and I think it has been a bubble. Like, there's really nothing to adjust things down back to any kind of normal. And, uh, oh, hold on. Dealing with something on the road here. So I know how trucks like to pass each other. Uh, there was a truck that was passing in front of me, and I'm just kind of hanging back, letting him go. And, uh, people behind me sort of getting pent up. And they try to like cut next to you on the right, like cut around, like try and pass the truck on the right because they're taking too long to merge back to the right. Ah, this is people who just don't understand protocol. I actually was driving earlier this morning and I, I don't cut trucks off. Like if I pass a truck and then get back over in front of it, I try to leave enough space. I love this. The guy that was just trying to, uh, <laughs> the guy that was just trying to cut around the truck. Like, I let him go past me and, uh, up ahead, like another truck is passing another truck. He just pulled out right in front of him. He's obviously losing his shit. I love it. It's like road justice. Anyway, what the hell was I saying? Uh, yeah. So I, I, I pulled over in front of a truck. Like I got back into the right lane. The truck driver flashed his lights at me. And that happened a couple times yesterday too. And I, so I know I became a habit and I sort of like, okay, I've I Googled it. And apparently that's a thing truckers do when you're not leaving them enough space. Like apparently you have to leave a lot of space between um, between yourself and uh, like like maybe 300 feet because it take it takes a lot of time for trucks to stop if they have to stop suddenly they have to leave a lot of room for it to happen because they're they're carrying so much weight and so apparently if they flash their lights at you they're saying like look you cut me off effectively you didn't leave enough space like the um I didn't know that. Now I'm being very, very careful now to like leave lots of space. Um, for more than two seconds of following distance before I get back over in front of them. Uh, yeah, that's my public service announcement. Um, but yeah, I think the thing is, I wonder if that's this whole COVID thing. Tech workers have sort of realized I don't have to be in the Bay Area because I don't have to be in the office, I can work from anywhere. And because we're in it for the long haul, I think people are catching on to this and they are leaving to go live cheaper places. And maybe there's an intent for some of them to come back once this, like offices will reopen. And there may be an expectation that uh, when that happens, people will have to return to the Bay Area. But for the moment, and it's going to be quite a long moment. People don't have to be in the office. And, I, and people are 
moving to places with cheaper rent because of that. And I think that is, I think that's going to cause a, a fall in, in rent prices in the Bay Area. I think the bubble burst. And there's even enough companies saying like, a lot of companies were afraid of going full remote before this happened because they weren't sure what the impact was going to be. Now that everybody's been forced to do it and everything's fine, I think companies are looking at paying tens of thousands of dollars in rent on an office in the city of San Francisco. And they're saying like, hey, we just don't have to do that. Like, let's not even have an office. So when everything reopens, I think there, people will start to come back to San Francisco, but it, I don't think rental prices will get anywhere near where they were. I think, I think officially the bubble has burst and it's going to start going the other direction. It's been climbing for a while. And, uh, yeah, even I, I heard, I heard Facebook say that they're letting their employees move to cheaper places, but they're adjusting their salaries accordingly. Like, so their cost of living goes down. We're going to lower your salary. I was like, that's okay. Kind of a dick move. I see why you're doing it, but you know, I used to be an accountant. I get it. Makes good fiscal sense, but, but that just tells you that's the only reason companies are paying so much for tech sellers. It's not because there's a demand for workers of which there is a shortage. We've had 15 years of people getting computer science degrees and moving to the Bay Area. There isn't that shortage anymore. I don't think, I think tech salaries are going to start to drop overall. And I think Bay Area rents start to drop. Um, I think it remains a very expensive area to live, but I think, I think it just hit a peak like at the beginning of this year or last year. And it's, uh, I'm not sure it's going to go back up, uh, without some other event or set of events, uh, driving it up there and that was the other reason I, I decided to leave like don't really care about what's going on in the, in the, you know with women on the dating apps or my love life who really cares but I was like I think I'm paying more than I really ought to be like there's no reason for me to hang on to this lease um, because if I were to move somewhere new in San Francisco right now I think it would end up being quite a bit cheaper and there's really no reason to even be in San Francisco and pay that, even if it was less. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, this has been good. This has killed probably 90 minutes, taking my mind off of, you know, off of just like focusing only on the road and listening to an audio book. It's been good to talk through a bunch of this shit. Um, yeah. God, it's beautiful out here. I love this uh, farmland country. But anyway, wherever you are in the midst of all this, I hope you're doing well. Hope you're taking care of yourself. And uh, yeah, I will talk to you next time. Uh, next time. Yeah. Need some water. Yeah. Until then, be well, be safe, be healthy, and cheers.